Shabbat Shalom, everyone. You may be seated. The parsha we read today in Parshat Vayera is the same portion that we read on Rosh Hashanah, which makes its story quite familiar with many. There is drama that is fit for any big screen. Abraham takes his son, in which was an only child to Sarah, goes on a long journey, climbs up a mountain, has everything ready for a sacrifice, binds him up, has a knife over his head, about to come down and make this sacrifice as one would with an animal with his only child. And just in Hollywood timing, an angel calls out Abraham's name twice. And he says, here I am. And the angel says, don't do anything to that child. Don't even cause a nick on his head. Nothing. Because now I know you are a God-fearing human being. The drama is thick, and it's scary. It's palpable. And at times, it can be hard to appreciate. But to be honest with each and every one of you, this to me in the world is starting to feel a lot like a time where that knife is hanging over our heads as a people. But the only problem is, I can't hear the angel, and I don't see a ram caught in a thicket anywhere that will save its place of those that are supposed to be sacrificed. Anyone who's been following the news for the past five and a half weeks knows that Israel has been under another form of attack, an attack that feels like an intifada, an attack where random people walking down the street in the cohabitation that most Jews, Israelis strive for, idealize, believe in. Where Palestinians and Israelis who shop together, who work together, who walk together, have now been pushed apart. Because there have been more than 50 stabbings of Israelis in the streets randomly. Boys and girls, men and women, old and young, religious and secular, just stabbed. And I will tell you that unlike missiles coming in from Gaza, there are no alarms when someone is about to stab you for being a pedestrian, for being a Jew, for being an Israeli. And there's no iron dome to intercept the rocket. Too many people have been the subject of living their life and then having that life being stabbed or cut away from them, injured, maimed, or killed just because of this belief. Now, you might be saying to yourself, okay, but what provoked it? What happened? What was the cause? And the cause is nothing more than a silly farce, an idea, unsubstantiated, unproven, with no backing whatsoever, that the Palestinian movement and authority believed that the status quo, which means the day-to-day -day ritual and rites that happened on the Temple Mount, that area just to the back of the Kotel where that golden dome sits, where Muhammad once visited, and the Al-Aqsa Mosque just off to its southern side, was now going to be forbidden for the Palestinians and the Muslims in particular 
to go there and to pray. It would turn into a Jewish site only. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is preposterous. Preposterous on a thousand levels because there is barely a a fraction of a percentage in all of Israel that believes that Palestinians shouldn't continue to have their holy sites for them to pray. And we go out of our way as a unity, community, and government to ensure that. And if you don't believe me, just take the Palestinians and the Israelis out of it for a minute and ask any Christian in the Middle East, the only country that's safe for them to pray as a Christian, whether it's Coptic or Greek Orthodox or even Catholic, and they will tell you Israel is the only place that provides that. Because as the homeland to the three monotheistic Abrahamic faiths, we believe that this is critical to have that plurality to have that understanding that there are holy places for Jews, for Muslims, and for Christians, and others, Baha'i, whatever your background is, as you choose and as you believe. But some propaganda got into the ear of others, and they resulted, not in a conversation, not in a negotiation, not in a discussion, but in citizens, civilians, picking up knives and randomly stabbing pedestrians on the street. A boy riding a bicycle, a girl on a bus on her way to work, an Orthodox Jew making his way to the synagogue. Here we are again. Today, if you walk down Ben Yehuda Street or the Mamila Mall or many of the hotels and restaurants, you will see something that is familiar and heartbreaking, and that is emptiness. One of my dear friends, Mike Hollander, many of you know he's coming here next week. He'll be our speaker says you could take a bowling ball down the Mamila Mall and throw it and you won't hit a person. On a normal Saturday night, there's probably thousands of people there together and Jews, Israelis, and Palestinian Muslims together. But it is no more for fear of their safety and their health. This feels again like that knife is over our neck. But where is the angel and where is the ram? And it's not limited to this one moment. I didn't use this pulpit too often last year to rail against the Iran deal. And the reason why is quite simple. I think it'd be hard-pressed to know me and to know that I was not opposed to that deal. I was, of course, against that deal, not in any way. I don't want to... I realize I just mumbled some words there together that could be confusing. I was opposed to the Iran deal unequivocally. I think it's a bad deal, mainly for America and as a result for Israel as well. We made a deal with a horrible party. Now you might be saying to yourself, well, what's the result of that? What does that look like? Well, I'm going to tell you a little teaching I got this week from uh, my dear friend Yossi Klein-Halevi, who explained a situation to me that's much bigger than you and I understand in this Iran deal. He said, all of this crisis we see of the migrants making their way from Syria all the way into Eastern Europe to find a home, hundreds of thousands of them, why is it that they're leaving now? The civil war has been going on in Syria for four years. Why are they deciding to leave now? And what Yossi Klein-Alevi taught me was brilliant, and I think he's spot on. He said, after this deal was signed with Assad, with Iran rather, it let Assad know that he was here to stay, that Iran would continue to back him, that Putin would have a role in establishing them and propping them up, and as a result, their fate would be gone. Meaning the average citizen in Syria was destined 
to a life under Assad. And if they were part of the rebellion, part of the pushback, part of the Alawites, part of something that wasn't where he was, then their destiny would be that they would be gone. And as a result of the signing of that deal, we see all of these people, hundreds of thousands of them, looking for asylum somewhere else. And that's why we didn't see it in May or in June. We see it today after it has gone through. Another moment where that deal and the fallout of that deal feels like a knife over our neck. But again, no ram in sight, no voice of an angel to be heard. A week and a half ago, I went on behalf of the New York Board of Rabbis to the United Nations and met with the staff of the Secretary General, including the Under Secretary of General, where we, large, we lobbied our large complaints about the United Nations and its unbalanced approach to the state of Israel. That same day we were meeting, UNESCO, which is run under the auspices of the United Nations, had a vote on two major issues. Issue number one has to do with Marat HaMachpelah, the gravesite of the matriarchs and patriarchs found in Hebron and on the Western Wall. The gravesite of our patriarchs, for those of you who've never been to Hebron, should know that it is a building where Abraham and Sarah are buried, and also Esau is buried, Isaac is buried, other people are believed to be buried as well. And the building has two separate entrances, a north entrance and a south entrance, and they are literally divided. If you are a Jew who wants to pay homage to this holy site, you come in through the north side. And if you are a Muslim who wants to pay homage to this holy site, to the father of Ishmael, you come in through the south side. And the graves literally have dividers like mechitzas in an Orthodox synagogue between them so that people can pay their respects through their particular religion on both sides. The Palestinian Authority had lobbied UNESCO to make Ma'arat HaMachpelah, this cave, a Palestinian Muslim holy site have no connection to the Israeli land or the Israeli people as a holy site. And it passed. And the second request made at the exact same time was to take the Kotel, the Western Wall, and to turn it into a holy Muslim-Palestinian site. How crazy and preposterous. That would mean that all the rules, the laws, the police, every single component governing our attendance and prayer at this site would be overseen by the Palestinian Authority, not the Israeli police. This is an absurdity. But here's the greatest irony. An irony so thick that no knife, whether it's to sacrifice Isaac or held over our head with the Iran deal, or even a knife that's being used to stab innocents in Israel, could cut the irony that is this thick. The entire uprising that has happened in the last five weeks happened because of a false authentication that was made by the Palestinians that were changing the status quo on the Temple Mount and every leader on all sides, right and left and down the middle has said there is no change in the status quo on the Temple Mount. This is fabricated. It is imagined. It is untrue. And what does the Palestinian Authority do in the most official form possible? They turn to UNESCO and the United Nations and ask for the status quo of the Western Wall and this holy gravesite to be changed. 
And how do the Israelis respond? By sending delegations of rabbis and leaders to the United Nations to try and sway the vote. Not with a knife, not with a gun, not with a missile. Think about the thickness of that irony. One falsification, propaganda untrue, not one foundation, not one shred of proof. And the Palestinian people as a whole, whether you work in a gas station or you work in the government, have been picking up knives and defending themselves, as they say, and stabbing innocent Israelis as they walk down the street. That's their response for something that is untrue, unfounded. And at the very same time, they seek the proper channels to make our Jewish holy sites into their sites, and not as a response. This was in works in the pipeline for over two years. How ironic. But again, as we feel our kotel, our holy site, where some of you had bar and bat mitzvahs, some of you proposed to your, your spouses in front of this kotel, some of you have had one of your most deep connections you've ever felt in front of this wall, a moment that has reuni- reunified not only Jerusalem but the Jewish people, being threatened to take away from us like a knife over our neck. And I ask you, where is the voice of the angel? And where is the ram to come in its place? The level of propaganda that has followed in this wake has been equally as painful and thick. The president of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, said, we don't want one Jewish soul up on the Temple Mount, not one, even though that's the very place where the Akedah took place, as our tradition told us. That is Mount Moriah. The place where Isaac was bound is the very place where Muhammad came later, where that Dome of the Rock is. That is what we know in our tradition. And for us to even go and visit, as a Palestinian who might want to come and visit the Kotel, is being forbidden in their hopes and wishes. They're allowed to hope and wish whatever they want, but their rhetoric is the painful part. Because Mahmoud Abbas said, we will not allow dirty, filthy Jewish feet to divide and disgrace our Muslim holy sites. As a response, one of the deputy foreign ministers, Tipi Hotoveli, says, one day, over the Temple Mount, I hope that we can raise a Jewish flag and maybe a Palestinian flag stand, standing side by side. That is her response. Now, Tsipi Hotoveli doesn't have a politic that I agree with, but her response was, we should raise a flag side by side with theirs to declare a unilateral, or a bilateral rather, or a shared homeland, a shared holy site. And Hanan Ashrari says, How crude and cruel and disgusting the rhetoric of the Jewish people. But not one rebuke, not one wagging finger, not one stop your rhetoric from the United Nations, from the President of the United States, from the President of Germany, from the Foreign Minister in Britain, you name it, on Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian Authority, for talking about Jewish feet and a form of disenfranchising and delegitimizing the Jewish people, and the Jewish state. I share all of this with you on the Shabbat, a heavy topic, because in the parsha which we read, Abraham has the knife above Isaac's throat, the angel calls down and stops him, and he has some form of inertia, something that brought him all the way to this occasion, and he wants to continue 
because everything's set for a sacrifice. And at that moment, he sees a ram with its horns caught in the thicket. He pulls it over and he sacrifices the ram. But here we are as a people, knife attacks happening throughout the streets, innocent people being slashed and injured and maimed and paralyzed and killed. And the world is silent. There is no angel whose voice calls down to stop these attacks. No condemnation. The Iran deal goes through. The migrants are coming over. There's no place for them in which to be. Assad finds himself so settled that he can even make trips over to Russia. And as a result of all of the ripple from this terrible agreement that enables our worst enemy since the state of Israel to become known and to allow them a pathway to enrich uranium and continue to cheat in all the processes which they've already done in some of their ballistic missile testing, which we all knew would be the first step to see how we would respond, which of course was with nothing. Not a sanction, not a rebuke, not a wagging finger. And what happened as a result? No angel, no ram, just silence. A campaign by the United Nations and UNESCO which, under the radar, continues in the process of taking one of the family of nations of 163 and looking to fight it not only with guns and with artillery, but in the war of delegitimization. Not one other country of the 163 family of nations suffers an existential threat and a threat of delegitimization the way that Israel does. And as every day in the Human Rights Council or the Security Commission, wherever it is, the unbalanced number of issues that come against Israel as opposed to all of the other countries is just nothing less than absurd. It is absurd. And the world, the world is quiet. And we can't hear the voice of an angel. And there is no ram in the distance. And when the rhetoric, the Palestinian leadership that looks to turn to the International Criminal Court for war crimes that they have suffered with total ignoring of the thousands of rockets that have been lobbed from Gaza and those attacks that have been inciting and those requests to demonize and to destroy the state of Israel, which is against the very charter of the United Nations. But they look to find the crutch to help them in the process of tearing down our homeland. And we're all quiet again. There's no angel and there's no ram. I've been thinking about this for quite a few weeks. And this is the conclusion in which I've come to. We're the angels. You and me. And the difference is we can't be silent. We cannot be silent. And my biggest fear for the future of the Jewish people today is not our success. It's not even the delegitimization of the state of Israel is my biggest fear. My greatest fear for the Jewish people today is a fear of apathy. Of just not caring enough to roll up your sleeves and to be the voice of the angel to stop the terror from happening. We do a survey every year for the high holidays. And we ask people for feedback on what worked and what didn't work. And there's one slide in that survey that depresses me every single year. We can get 300, 400 people to answer, which is a very good capture rate. 
But the question we ask is, how many of you are prepared to continue the conversation, to share more with us offline about your feedback on the high holidays? About 80% of the people say no. Not because it's so harsh, not because it's so terrible, because they're apathetic, because they don't want to give the extra minute, the extra hour, the extra time to help us learn and to help us grow. Now, I don't have existential fears about that process, but that slide is emblematic of the apathy we feel in the Jewish world. Ladies and gentlemen, if they're stabbing random people in the street in Israel for a falsification and a propaganda that has no existence, no truth, not a shred of evidence behind it, and we aren't the voice of the angel, then the knife's gonna come down on our neck. And if we sit idly by while Iran decides to test ballistic missiles and to test how far it can go with its enrichment of uranium, and all of the byproducts of that are a result of this deal in which was made, and we do and say nothing about it to our legislators and to our lawmakers, then we have to be the voice of the angel, or else the knife will come down on our neck. And when the United Nations says they want to take our holiest site since 1967, actually for the last 2,500 years since there was a temple in the Western Wall, and they want to turn it over to the Palestinians just because they want to further the campaign of delegitimization against Jews and Israelis, and we do nothing except drive carpools and go to dinner parties and vacations and work, and we don't take the time to make a difference and be the voice of the angel and the knife come across our necks. And if the rhetoric continues from the Palestinian Authority in such an unjustified, immoral, unethical, and against the rule way for the United Nations, and we do nothing, and we aren't the voice of the angel, then the knife will come across our neck. And all of you are smart enough to know what happens when the knife comes across our neck. We are injured and we lose our ability to speak again. We become paralyzed and we can't move forward. Or worse yet, we die and we don't come back. In life, when you don't hear the angel, you have to be the angel. You have to use your voice. You have to use your hands. You have to move the brush and look for the ram or else the knife comes across our neck. It seems like it's an expensive endeavor, like it takes a high price on our lives, our livelihood, and the way in which our routines happen. But we can't afford the price of apathy. And this Shabbat, where we remember the Akedah, on Har HaMoriah, on that mountain, that mountain that is a holy site to us and to them. Let us not lose our ability to strive and to hope for a flag that waves celebrating two religions, two faiths, two beliefs, and peace. But until that time, when that language is used, that imagery is used, those falsifications are slung at us, let us not be silent. Shame on us if we are. Because were it not for the voice of that angel, we wouldn't be here today. And that is a scary thought. Shabbat shalom, everyone. <laughs>